All right, if you have your Bibles, you're ready. You can open your Bibles up. We're ready for Matthew. We're going to begin in uh, chapter 5, verse 33 today. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and Jesus, we again, we thank you for your word, God. And, and Father, we ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would, would minister truth through the Sermon on the Mount, God. And this just most famous uh, a sermon that you preached, God, that, that's intended to, to convict us, and it's intended to guide and lead us. And Lord, I pray that, that we would learn from it, that we would receive you in it, that we would grow in it, God, that you would speak your truth through it, Father. And Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So where we find ourselves today is right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, again, has the intention to um, basically drive you to Jesus. One of the things about the Sermon on the Mount is that it can be kind of overwhelming. I don't know what the right word is, if it's ominous, if it's overwhelming, if it's, you know, oh, throw your hands in the air and who possibly could do it. But the whole point, that is the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, sometimes I, I've talked to Christians in the past, or maybe, I don't know, Christians or not, but they'll say something like, oh, well, I don't, you know, I don't really follow the whole Bible. I don't need it all. I just, I just simply live by the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm like, you have no idea what you're saying right now. Like, have you even read the Sermon on the Mount? Like, because if you read it, you'll realize that the whole point is that you can't live by the Sermon on the Mount, that you don't live by the Sermon on the Mount, and that you can't live up to it. And so Jesus is taking really the, the hypocrisy of religion, and he's exposing it through the Sermon on the Mount. And, and I don't ever like to be dogmatic on maybe some of these statements, but I would almost venture to say that every other religion apart from um, basic biblical Christianity saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ relate to God based on, on our faith and a decision that we've made. Apart from that, every other religion has some kind of works-based doctrine. That you, you, you earn your way, you earn your salvation, that you do something to improve your status for, for the Lord. On CSN, our local Christian radio station that's here, have you guys heard my ad yet? Anybody? Yeah, a couple of you. A couple of you guys are born again, say Christians. You, like, you listen to Christian radio and you, you heard my ad on there. It's, it's always hard to hear yourself on the radio. I think I sound retarded, but... I asked my teenagers, I thought that'd be like the, the, the thing. I was like, come on, tell me the truth. How does it sound like? Do I sound really bad? Do I sound cool? You know, they, I don't know. They didn't want to make me feel bad. So they all said, yeah, it sounds cool, dad. So, okay. But we do have an ad on CSN, but I was listening to CSN this week. And, um, one of the programs, they were interviewing a guy who was a Muslim and, um, he was talking basically about the Ten Commandments, and he asked the Muslim, how did he get to heaven? And he was sharing that if his good deeds outweighed his bad deeds, that, that he would be good. And the guy was trying to walk him through some of the conditions of his heart and some of the things that Jesus talks about here in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Muslim said, well, yeah, nobody's 100% perfect, but then if you don't intentionally do bad things. So you might make a mistake, but your intention was to do good, but you, you blew it and you did bad, you're, you're okay. But, but basically, the Islamic or the Muslim system, according to this Muslim, and it's very true across the board, that you, you have a system where you, you do more good deeds than bad deeds, and then in God's eyes, you, you, know, you have a scale and you, you weigh it. The interesting thing is if you talk to an Orthodox Jew today and they have a, a holiday they celebrate every year um, called the, the Feast of Atonement or, or Atonement. 
And basically, it's the same idea for the Jew. You talk to a Jew today. How do you get to heaven? Well, your good deeds have to outweigh your bad deeds. And you put your good deeds on one side of the scale and your bad deeds on the other side of the scale. And as long as your good deeds tip your your bad deeds, then then you're, you're in good shape for the year with God. So I always tease and I say, if you have any Jewish friends that are Orthodox... Um, right around the time of, of atonement, that's when you want to ask them if you could borrow some money, if you can borrow their car, if uh, you could come stay at their house and they'll make you some meals for a couple of days because they're, they're really trying to earn and, and do good deeds at the time. And really this entire religious system that, that is so prevalent is um, exposed by Jesus in such a way that, that really you, you have no recourse when it's done. And the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is, is to unequivocally prove and show you and I that we need a Savior. That we cannot earn God's love or our salvation. Now, one of the ways I use to illustrate this, and you know, it, maybe it's not the best way, but it does make, it, does make it clear. So you guys have all made a choice this morning to get up, get ready, and, you know, hopefully you brushed your teeth, and, you, you know, you took a shower, and you came here looking nice, and um, you, you came to church this morning. And, and now whether you came to church this morning, and you're sitting here worshiping the Lord, or what if, what if you made a different decision, and you, you went over on, let's say, Broadway over here in town, and, and you went to one of the bars, and you had drinks this morning instead of coming to church? Now, one, coming to church or going and having drinks this morning, would, would God love you more if, for those of you that came to church as opposed to those that went to the bar this morning? You realize God would love you just the same if you're sitting at the bar right now? You know what's amazing about God's love for you? God says that his banner over you is love. And I heard that verse a million times, but just recently, God really impressed it upon my heart that, you know, it's like I imagine myself walking around town and I have this huge banner over my head that God and everybody knows God put. And there's all these arrows pointing out at my head. And God is saying, like, I love that guy. Like, he's mine. I like him. He's cool. I care for him. And and I'm not ashamed of him. I'm not embarrassed of him. And no matter where I is. And, you know, I'd be sitting in the bar this morning, bellied up to the bar with a big sign over my head, pointing down, saying that, that God loves me. Because it, it not, not what you do can't affect God's love for your life. Now, what, what we do affects how we, listen, enjoy God's love, how we experience God's love. So Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that abundant, more abundantly. And, and that part of Christian living, of, of enjoying, of living, because obviously there, there, there is a, a practical bonus of, of how your day is going to go, how your life's going to go if you got up on Sunday morning and came to church as opposed to going and getting drunk this morning. Now, it doesn't change God's love, but it changes a lot of other things in your life. And, and so God's, God's desire is, is relational, and it's, it's, it's to you know, commune with you. And the things that he does for you in his love, you'll experience them based on what you do but you can't change or earn them. So listen, um, Jesus already said in the Sermon on the Mount, I want to draw your attention to verse number 48. Now, Jesus already said, listen, along this point, if your righteousness does not um, exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you can't go to heaven. And the, and, the, and the people listening were already just like, oh, this is enough, Jesus. I can't handle anymore. Like I can't. How in the world could I ever be more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees? What you're saying is impossible, Jesus. And then he goes on and Jesus begins to expose the the hypocrisy of religion because religion does everything to look good on the outside. And Jesus is concerned with what's looking good on the inside. 
And then he comes to the very end. And if the people didn't get it yet, he comes to verse 48. And then Jesus says, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. Somebody. Seriously, did you hear what he just said? Who, who, let, let, let's raise your hand if anybody can, can get to heaven based on verse 48. Therefore, Jesus said, you shall be perfect. First of all, who's your father that's in heaven? Who is that? Who's he talking about? You mean, you mean Jesus just said that you have to be as perfect as the very God of heaven? Is that what he said? Okay, how many of you in here can, can say you're as perfect as God in heaven? Now, hold on. Before you raise your hand. Let the people next to you know so they can scoot over so when the lightning comes, it doesn't hit them too, right? But again, the whole point is by this time, if Jesus hasn't already proved his point, he comes to the end and he says, listen, I'm real serious about this. If, if you want to be made righteous based on your good works, here's my standard. You have to be as perfect as the Father is in heaven. But anything short from you being as perfect as the Father is in heaven, guess what? You need Jesus. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, you need Jesus. <laughs> you need him. Now look at the one you chose second. <laughs> Who really needs Jesus? Say, you need Jesus. Listen to what James says. You know, part of the thing is the Pharisees were saying, oh, well, you know, we're, we're good people. The same thing you're going to hear your neighbor say. The same thing you're going to hear people in your house say. Same thing you're going to hear your relatives say and your friends say. Oh, well, we're good people. And the Pharisees said, well, we don't murder. We've never murdered anybody. And Jesus said, no, you've never murdered anybody. But, it, but if you've hated somebody in your heart, you're guilty of murder already. Because murder is born out of the heart. And they said, well, we've never committed adultery and Jesus said, yeah, but if you've lusted at a woman, if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you're guilty of adultery already. And again, exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And again, this is what the Bible says about those who want to live righteous based on good works. James tells us, and you know, James, brother James, don't pull no punches. Like he, he's, he's hardcore. This dude punch you in the mouth with the truth. And he said, you, that's not the verse. 10, not 19. He said, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. So you can keep the entire law of Moses 99.9% accurate and be that close. And yet you miss it in one point. And guess what? You get a pass or fail grade. There's no A, B, C, D, F. You don't like you get, okay, I did, I did most of it. I got A minus. No, you get a pass or fail. And if, you're, and if the standard is not absolutely perfection, you failed. So that's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, that brings us to the, again, our need for a Savior. Now, once we've come to the conclusion that, yeah, okay, I get it. Like, I need a Savior. Like, I can't do it without Jesus. I, I'm a sinner. And, and entire, really the entire crux of Christianity, the entire kind of whole point of Christianity is that you realize you're a sinner. You need a Savior. You're broken. And, and, the, and that God um, sent his son to die on a cross, rose again the third day, and that you can't do it by yourself. And once you've come to that realization, now that now the Sermon on the Mount does a second thing. The Sermon on the Mount directs us in Christ. It gives us a direction of how we should live. But the cool thing is that we talked about and we've already unpacked a little bit is like in the be attitudes. It's attitudes that you're supposed to be. When Jesus said you are the salt and light. He didn't say you should act like salt and light. You should behave like salt and light. He said you already are. You're salt and light. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's what you are. 
These are the Beatitudes. So if we read through the Sermon on the Mount and we say, man, you know what? That's right. Like, I got to do that better. Like, I got to go home this week and I really got to work on that. I got to, I got to, you know, fit into that. I got to be nicer. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to, got to, got to do, do, do. You're going to miss the point because it doesn't work that way. Those attitudes aren't something that you just go home and you, you know, you write on your wall and you say them every morning in the mirror seven times when you wake up, you know, like some of these self-help guru things that are going on and, you know, and, and it doesn't work that way. The whole point is that you know Jesus and you commune and you relate and you fellowship with Jesus and you put Jesus in your life. And then as a natural result, guess what's going to happen in your life? You're going to, you're going to just like realize one day, like, you have the attitudes that he's talking about. You are the person that he's talking about. It's natural. It flows through you. So you just abide in Christ. And then out of your life flows, flows the fruit that God wants to put in your life. Out of your life flows torrents of living water. So that was the intro. You guys haven't noticed by now, I'm, you know, I'm long on intro. And then I just had to jam through the important part that's the actual scripture. But hey, last week we left a couple of things out. So I want to kind of just jam through it. We're going to pick up in... Uh, Verse 33 today, we, we covered marriage last week, what Jesus talked about in marriage in verse 31. So today, again, quickly, we're going to go through this. And really what I want to cover is uh, three points in chapter 6, but I don't want to leave this undone. Verse 33, Jesus said, Again, you have heard it said, it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Oh, I love this next verse. Nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. I don't know why, but I just love that title of Jerusalem. And it kind of fits my affinity for Israel and Jerusalem that of all the cities and all the places in the world that Jesus lays claim to Jerusalem as his city, the city of the great king. And so he says, don't swear by Jerusalem, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. Some of you girls are like, yeah, right. This is before the day of hair dye. I can make it red, purple, do what I want with it. You can with dye, but you can't by uh, just willing it, right? And then he says, but let your yes be yes and your no be no for what more than these than the evil one. So basically this next section, Jesus forbids oaths, okay? So um, the Old Testament tells us that it's better for you not to vow a vow than to vow a vow and break it. Now, biblically, we take vows, like we take marriage vows. And, and we sometimes, we, we take a vow very flippantly and we don't really, when we take a vow before God, Jesus' point, and really biblically, the point is that God, it's binding. Your marriage vows are binding, that it's an oath before God that God holds you to, to that standard. And, and so that's why God says, listen, I don't care if you don't vow vows. I've not asked you to vow a bunch of vows to me. But if you vow a vow to God, I expect you to keep it. You know, for some of us, right, we, we vow vows, of course, in our BC days, right, our before Christ days. And you get home, it's three in the morning, and you're laying in your bed, and you got one foot on the floor because some of your friends told you that'd keep you from throwing up. And you say, God, if, if you just get me through tonight, I'll never drink again. And you vow this vow before God that you'll never drink again if you just get through the night. And, you know, and then, you know, you wake up the next day and life goes on and you're, you're at it again. And you vow this vow that you never intended to keep. And, and God says, don't, don't vow vows that you're not going to keep. And when you do, make sure you honor it before the Lord. And then he goes on and he talks about the, the integrity, a uh, character of integrity of a person. And I love Jesus's advice. He just says, don't swear. You know, you, you ever hear somebody say, oh, I swear to God, I swear to God. 
Listen, as Christians, you're not supposed to say that. Just cut it out. And I know sometimes it can be semantics, but as a Christian, because of what Jesus said here, I've, I've now don't say that. I don't want my kids say that. And just be careful to avoid that so that we don't end up in, in this case here that Jesus forbids. And, and, then, and then Jesus says, beyond just, oh, I swear to God, because why, why, why do you swear? Oh, I swear by my mama or whatever you say or however you want to swear. What's the point? The point is that whatever you're saying can't be trusted unless you swear on it, unless you take it to the next level. Well, what's wrong with you that what you're saying people can't believe? And, and that's what Jesus addresses, that you, you shouldn't be a person that has to swear. And listen, it takes time. Any of you guys, don't raise your hand, gals. I'll, I'll be the first. I'll be the only one to raise my hand. Ever get caught telling your wife a lie? I've done it. You're like, pastor, what am I doing in this church? <laughs> but guess what? It, 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 it creates a mistrust. It creates a season where, you know, and so what do you have to do? Then I have to do everything over the top, above board, to really make sure that there's no reason that she doubts anything that I'm going to say or do, that I don't want to get that reputation. I have to let my yes be yes, my no be no. And there's a season. And Jesus says to guard that in your life. That if you're the type of person over a long period of history that, you know, when you tell somebody this is this and that is that, that they believe you. And if they don't believe you, you're not the type of person that says, well, I swear to God, man, give me a stack of Bibles. I'll put my hand on it. Like you just you just leave it alone and you just, yeah, that's the way it is. But then they know who you are. You're a type of person that tells the truth. Your yes is yes. Your no is no. And it creates an integrity in your life, in your relationships, in your marriage, in, in your friendships, in your businesses. And it does take a little bit of time, and especially if you've ruined it or, or done some things to, to disearn somebody's trust. But what a great place to be where you just, you don't have to swear. You know, you ever talk to somebody and, you know, it's funny because I was teaching this this week, but just this week, and God always does this. I had a conversation with a person. I love this person a lot, a friend of mine. And, um, and I don't, I don't, I think it's just the way he talks. But it just kind of really caught my eye, this, my ear this week as I was talking to him. But he said to me in the conversation a couple times, he said, Pastor, he's like, just, just to be real honest with you. And he said, Pastor, let, let me tell you the truth. And it just, my ears perked up because I was teaching this and I was studying this this week. And I'm like, just to be honest with me, what are you saying? Like, you haven't been honest with me up to this point and you've been lying to me all this time. And now you just want to be honest with me. And so, again, just avoiding those things Jesus said and, and let your yes be yes, your no be no, be a person of integrity Life will go well with you. Verse 38 um, talks about you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So listen, in the Old Testament, this is a thing that was in the law of Moses, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We call it the lex talionis very quickly. And, and the, when God put this in the law of Moses, it was not intended to be revenge. Like if somebody pokes your eye out, you have to poke their eye out. It was actually limitations upon God's people in those days, thousands of years ago that came out of pagan practices and came out of pagan things. And, and really God was beginning to shape the Hebrew nation in those days. And he put some parameters in them because what does human nature say? If you poke out one of my eyes, I'm going to poke out six of yours. I'm going to poke out your two, your wife's two, your kids two, your neighbors two. That, that, that's what, that's what human nature is, right? And we're all that way. I can remember when I was in Bible college and Lydia and I were first starting to, to hang out and she'd come down and be a Saturday and we were working a retreat and we'd have a retreat on deck where the Bible college was in those days was at a retreat center. And so we'd be serving the guests dinner and then we would be in the kitchen cleaning up and her friend is there and her friend has the thing you use to clean the dishes and it's a sprayer and she's holding it and she's pointing it at me and she's like, I'm going to spray you. And I was like, if you get one drop of water on me, I'm going to hold your head in the toilet for like five minutes. Like, 
I'm going to dunk you. I'm going to do something like you don't want to do that. She goes, a little bit of water. I picked her up on my shoulder and I took her out to the pool, freezing cold or whatever. And I throw her in the pool and like dunk her like five or six times just to make sure like that's, that's human nature. You know, someone gets you a little bit wet, like you're going to get them back. And so God said in the, in the law of Moses to the people of those days that it was, you know, to be equal in, 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 in getting people back. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't God saying that if someone pokes you in one eye, you have to poke out their eye. He was basically saying that it, it, should, it should be limits on it. And Jesus said, you've heard that that was said, but now I'm taking it to another level, a matter of the heart. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, give it to him and let him have your cloak also. Give him what he didn't ask for in the, in the lawsuit. And whoever compels you to go one mile with him, go two and give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow, do not turn away. So again, like we talked about last week, part of this stuff has to do with your Christian witness. It has to do with your um, ability to be salt and light in the earth. And and if, if you're the type of person that if someone slaps you on one cheek, you can turn them the other also. Now, some people want to get into the the semantics and really unpack this. I'm not doing that today. I'm surface level today, but I will just say this. This is not talking about that as Christians, we can never use um, self-defense. And we can't defend our homes. We can't defend ourselves against danger. We can't defend our wives against harm. You know, that's not the point. This is on a different level. I had a um, friend who um, got saved in prison. And in the particular place that he was, he, he said that multiple times the prisoners knew this verse. And so they would slap or punch the Christians in the face and then tell him, turn the other cheek, Christian. And he said he never would. He always punched them back because if you turn the other cheek in prison, you're going to be in trouble and it's going to keep going on. But, um, but the whole point is that when the world sees you do something that is different because of Jesus in you, it's a witness. When the world sees you go through tragedy in your life and, and you can um, go through it with joy that surpasses um, understanding, when they see you face difficulty, when they see you be very generous and, and, a, and a beyond and God continues to provide and you continue to have and you continue to loan and you continue to go the extra mile and you continue to give and God continues to provide for your life, it's a witness. We talked about last week, you know, I had an experience when I first became a Christian and I was having a hard time with a guy at work and I had just come out of the world and, you know, I really wanted to, 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 to pound this guy. And I told the, 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 the woman that was, I was living with, the family I was living with, I said, Roz, I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I'm going to pound this dude. And she said, if you do that, you're going to lose your witness. And that the reality was I realized that she was so right. And, and I, that was valuable to, valuable to me. And it really kept some restraints on me through that time and helped me because I wanted to be a Christian witness. I wanted to share Jesus. I, I didn't want to lose my witness. And if I, if I went and acted like the world did and, and, and got into it with this guy. And so this is kind of the heart of what Jesus is sharing here. We turn the other cheek. We, uh, we, we go the extra mile. And in the last part, he just says, um, give to him who asks and from him who wants to borrow from you, don't turn away. Now, kind of side note, this is not in the sermon. I'll give you this one for free, but... Um, the church policy um, on loaning money is that we, we never loan money for this reason right here. Okay, it came from this, something that I've adopted into my personal life. As an as a individual, I never loan money, okay? Don't ask me if you can borrow money because the answer is no, okay? They, don't ask the church if you can borrow money because the answer is no. We don't loan, okay? And the reason why we don't loan is because if I loan Shane 20 bucks and then the next time I see Shane, 
And I'm kind of embarrassed because I want my 20 bucks, but I don't want to ask him. And I think he should know and he should give me my 20 bucks back. And now I'm giving him the cold shoulder and he can't figure out what's going on because he forgot all about it. He was, you know, no big deal, right? 20 bucks. But I'm mad and I want my 20 bucks. So every time I see Shane, he, he's got this thing hanging over my head that makes me mad all the time. Like, what's this dude going to give me my $20? So I'm just not going to loan him 20 bucks. But I'll give him $20. I love to give him $20, really, honestly. And if I can give it to him and never expect it back, and, and honestly, I don't want it back, and I can afford to, if I can't afford to give it to him, I'm not going to do it. But if I can afford it and I, I got it, I'll give it to him. He doesn't owe it to me. If he wants to pay me back someday, or he can, whatever, then, then it's, it's a blessing, but I, I, I'll give it. So it's a, it's a church policy that I adopted into my personal life that, that kind of helps relieve some stress in my life. I'll give it to you, but I won't loan it to you. And same thing with the church. People ask, and they come hard times, and we try, and we do a, you know, we had, I forget what it was, and just by circumstance, but, you know, last year in 2018, and 2017, I think we were somewhere around $27,000 that we gave away as a church in benevolence. I think a little bit less than that in 2018, but we, for a small church, we've been pretty, pretty benevolent and, and generous that way. But again, when somebody comes, we, 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 we'll give it to you. And if we have it, if we can afford it, if, if the Holy Spirit, um, you know, speaks to our heart that it's right, then we give it, we say, listen, we don't want it back. It's not a loan. It's a gift. Please take it. Um, if you give it back, don't tell us. Just put it in the offering secretly and don't even let us know you gave it back because we just don't want to go there. So, all right, that was the extra part. All right. So then Jesus talks about next section. And we're going to jam because we got, I want to get to chapter six, but he says, love your enemies. And you had heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you and do not, and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and the good. Listen, he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you must be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. So the last one is just with the love challenge. It's easy to love people that are lovable. It's difficult to love people that are unloving and that are, that are different than you and that are harder. And, and Jesus said, what, what credit is it to you? Like, what have you done if, if you just naturally love people that are lovely? And that are nice to you and they're like you. But really, when you have to die to yourself, when you have to sacrifice something to love somebody that's unlovable, then Jesus says that's commendable. And then in chapter six, we're going to deal with three topics in the next 15 minutes. Um, and then we'll be done. But um, number one is giving. So I'm going to talk about your money. You guys ready? Tell your neighbor, get ready. Because I know you guys don't like it when I talk about your money, but I only talk about it when God talks about it. So first thing we're talking about here is, is giving in, in verse number one, verse number five, Jesus is going to talk about praying. And then in verse number 16, Jesus is going to talk about fasting. So I'd like to cover those three today, giving, praying, and fasting in this next section. We're not going to do like a breakdown of the Lord's prayer and kind of go through it verse by verse because we've done that um, in Luke's gospel. And there's a, uh, there's a CD teaching on that if you want to get that. But we have, or it's on the app, but we have, um, so we're going to try to go through it quick. Okay, so in chapter 6, again, Jesus said, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no, what's the next word? Everybody, the next word? 
reward from your Father in heaven. Hey, so whenever you come to the word reward, I want you to underline it, highlight it, um, circle it, whatever you do in your Bible, because it's, look, it's in verse number six. I'm sorry, verse number one, chapter six, verse number one. It's in verse number two. It's in verse number four. It's in verse number five. It's in verse number six. And so it's repeated throughout this entire theme, the idea that there are rewards that God gives. Okay, so when you give, there's a reward. When you um, pray, there's a reward. When you tithe, there's a reward. And really what this next section is about is the way that God gives out his rewards. Now, I want you to understand something about the works and rewards in giving the money that you give. The service that you do towards God, the, the, the praying that you, the individual time that you spend praying and, and doing things for the Lord that way, maybe fasting and seeking the Lord. Now, all of these things are under the category of works. And this is what the Bible, this is what Jesus said about your works, that your works one day are going to go through what's called a refiner's fire. And they're going to be tried and something is going to come out the other side. And what comes out the other side is your reward. So in heaven, we all go to the heaven. There's no three levels of heaven. There's no multiple things. There's, there's one heaven where God is, where you and I are going to be and, and in there. But yet we all go to the same heaven. But a biblical concept that's very true and very consistent is that there are rewards in heaven. Now we tell those jokes about the mansions because Jesus used the term mansion. Now, whether it's a physical mansion or whether it's just, but the idea is the same. You know, the one guy has a shack in heaven, another guy has a big mansion and, you know, we're all going to be happy to be there. But that concept is true. There's varying levels biblically of rewards in heaven. So your works don't get you into heaven, but what your works do is they, they're, they're the reward that you will get when you get there. Okay, you guys tra- tracking with that? Had to establish that to move on. So what, what is, do you guys realize what's, what's the fire that your rewards are tested by that Jesus said? It's called the refiner's fire. So he puts them through and he said, whatever's wood, hay, and stubble is going to burn up. And then whatever comes out the other side is the gems, the gold, the, the silver, the precious stones, the precious jewels. That's your reward. So I imagine, I don't know, but I imagine the refiner's fire is going to be like a conveyor belt, I guess. And all your good works go on one side and there's a big fire in the middle and you stand on the other side like that old TV show. No whammies, no whammies, big bucks, big bucks. And you hope that your rewards come out the other side. But whether that's true or not, I don't know. But is it possible to do the right thing with the wrong motive? Very simply, is it? Yes. So that's what the refiner's fire is. You pray. You give, you serve, you do good works. What God's testing in your life and in my life is your motive. That's what he's concerned about. If you did it for the right reason, if you did it as unto him, there's a reward for you. What do we see in chapter six? Reward, 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 reward. The word repeated five times right there in the first six, seven verses. Okay. So that reward is based on your motive. And that's what Jesus is dealing with here. So it says, the first one says, take heed that you do your charitable deeds. Now, Last thing. And then the last thing is Jesus is going to say when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Now, he's not going to say if you give, if you pray, if you fast. So he's assuming that you're going to give, pray and fast. Right. Do you guys give, pray and fast? Don't raise your hand. Already talked about being liars up in here. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
So yeah, so, so it's, it's something that Jesus expects that his followers will do. So if you're a Christ follower, it's expected that you give, that you pray, that you fast. And he says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Somebody say from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So their reward comes from who? Men, because their motive was to be seen by men. So, so practically what the, what the custom was, was the Pharisees literally would have a little trumpet that they would carry with them. And, and in, the, in the synagogues, there would be a place um, historically that was a, a secret place where you could go and um, in there that you could give. And, and you could give secretly. It would, it would be wielded out to the poor secretly. And it was called the secret chamber. And nobody would know and it was a good way of doing it. Well, the Pharisees wanting to blow their own horn, they developed a practice where on the way to the synagogue, they would stop on a corner and they would blow a trumpet. And if they blew a trumpet, that would alert the the people in the area that a Pharisee was there giving out charity, giving out alms. And so they would gather and this Pharisee would then begin to hand the money to the the folks that, that, that were gathering. So literally they would blow a trumpet in the marketplace and then people would walk by on the outside and they would see Pharisee so and so there on the corner and they'd say, man, he is so generous. And the Lord says, man, suck that in. I hope you like what they're saying about you because that's your reward. And that's all you're going to get. You know, you go to some churches in some places and, and, and you'll see on the back of the chairs, this row donated by Brother Greg, you know. And then, and then everybody can look at the row. They sit in the row and they go, wow, Brother Greg's so generous. He donated this whole row of chairs. And, you know, and, and, and God says, well, I hope Brother Greg likes that plaque that we put on the back of the chair. Because when people see it and they give him glory, that is his reward. There's nothing else. You know, or you go and there's buildings, right? And there's signs on the buildings that say this building was donated by Sister So-and-So. And God says, well, I hope you like that plaque because when people see it and they recognize what you gave. And that's why, you know, Calvary Chapel, we, we had a policy a long time ago because for us, we're just thinking of you guys. Really, we just love you guys so much. We want your reward to be in heaven. So we're not going to put a plaque on it. We're not going to put your name on it. You know, we're going to give it anonymously. And that way, nobody knows what you gave, what you did, and that, that we don't steal your reward from you. And God will see it in heaven and, and reward you um, in heaven. And then he says um, in verse number three, but when you do a charitable deed, again, the expectation from Jesus that you're going to do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret and your father who sees you will himself, will do what? Reward you openly. You know, I have this little saying in church here and sometimes somebody will do something really nice for the church and, you know, I always tell them, hey, I got good and bad news for you. First of all, the good news, man, your reward for what you just did is so great. Like millions, billions, maybe like that's the great news. The bad news is you got to wait till you get to heaven to get it. And so that, that's kind of the idea here. The Lord will reward you openly. But again, and, and not, not even to say that you have to wait till you get to heaven to get God's blessing, because even on some of the things that you give today, you know, God says that he'll bless you in this life and the next so they, they, not necessarily that we always have to wait till heaven. So then verse five, he says, and when, not if, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they, they may be seen by who? By men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the. 
place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. When we pray, the Lord wants us to do it as unto him. And there's a heart of prayer. And then Jesus warns against a couple things here. Number one thing he warned again was not to do it as the heathen do. Another word for heathen synonymous is pagan. So Jesus doesn't want us to adopt pagan practices, right? And so because Jesus um, highlights this, we see this really throughout. And one of the things we're looking for all the time, like certain practices throughout history. Who practiced them, you know, from from as far back as we can track history to today? Pagan or, or Christian? The folding of hands. How do they bury mummies? Like this, right? This is how you see the mummies. This is, this is an ancient practice. It goes back thousands of years. Not practiced by God's people, but always practiced by the pagans. Pagan. You see, you see other you know, examples of that all the way through history. Pagan, Christian, pagan, Christian. And we've adopted, unfortunately, so many of these pagan practices. But Jesus makes an example here that he doesn't want us to do it the way the pagans do it. And, and, and then one of the things the pagans do is vain repetition. Okay, unfortunately, again, it's, when we pray, we want to be careful. You know, somewhere along the way, you know, and again, you know, I'll just pick on everybody today, right? I've already picked on the Jews, the Muslims, and now I'm going to pick on the Catholics. But they, um, you know, we, we pray, you go into confession, and you come out, and, and the priest says, say, ten Hail Marys, five All Fathers, and, and pray the rosary. And that's all repetition, vain repetition things that you just say over and over again. And, and that's pagan in its ancestry. Anyways, you know where that came from? The Buddhists a long time ago, they, they had something that was called a pinwheel. And the, and the wind would blow it in circles. And they would pin pl- prayers literally to a pinwheel. And they believed that every time it would blow in a circle, that those prayers would be repeated in going up to heaven. And some Spanish monks were there observing this Buddhist practice, and they, they adopted this, this idea through rosary prayers and different things like that. But, um, you know, even in, in um, um, the Protestant church so many times, like in the Lutheran church, you go and you, you do um, liturgy and you do um, catechism and you memorize this and you do these and you say all these things to be confirmed in the church. These, these vain, repetitious prayers. Now, listen, you could use those same words. You could use those same words of, of the Hail Marys, the Our Fathers, the Rosaries, any of those veins. And if it comes from a sincere heart of communicating and talking to God, it, it can change. The Lord's Prayer that we're about to read in a minute. I, I see sometimes where people pray it and people ask me all the time, is this a prayer that we're supposed to pray word for word? Is it meant to be prayed word for word? And I believe absolutely, yes, it is. Well, is it a vain repetition? Well, that's only a matter of the heart. It can become vain repetition if you're just going through it rote. But if you stop and you're concentrating on what you're talking about, you're asking God, you're praying through these things in your heart, then it's not vain repetition anymore. You know, it's something I struggle with in my prayer life a little bit because, you know, I find myself saying the same things over again. And, you know, I, I like to spend time, as you guys know, you know, I tell you where I pray so that you guys can say, oh, wow, you're spiritual and then I got my reward. But I... I, I get up in the mornings and I like to get in the jacuzzi and I, and I call it my prayer wagon, you know, and I spend time. It keeps me awake because if I lay in my bed or if I kneel by my bed, you know, then pretty soon I'm drooling on the side of my mouth or I'm thinking about Disneyland about 30 seconds into my prayer and I can't focus. And so I get in the jacuzzi and it's harder to fall asleep in the jacuzzi. Not to say I can't do it, but 
um, or walk, you know, and I find myself saying kind of, you know, thank you, Lord, praise you, Jesus, you know, as I'm praying and maybe some phrases and I'm, I'm, is that vain repetition? Is it, you know, but I'm trying to communicate to God and fill space. And so just being careful and understand that, you know, it's not by your many words that you're heard. And, and, and those vain repetitious, you know, prayers, it's like, you know, how many of you guys pray that? I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so you don't know where this, I asked Lydia, but you know, Lydia's dad was a pastor and she grew up in a Christian home and she didn't grow up praying this way, praise God. But you know, I, I went to bed at night saying, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Anybody? If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Where does that come from? <laughs> I was praying that prayer long before Metallica, man. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, long before Metallica, I was praying that prayer. And people long before me were praying that prayer. So Metallica is the one that stole it. That, they didn't invent it. But anyways, and it's kind of morbid anyways, right? Every night you pray like, Lord, I'm going to die before I wake up. And I pray that you keep me. And, and I guess you're giving him your soul. But I would pray it repetitiously every night. Really no meaning. But, you know, I could say those same words. As morbid as they can be. And, and, and yet if I pray with my heart and I have meaning and I have connection to God, it could not then be in the category of vain repetition. But just be careful. You know, the, the, the heathen do. Jesus said, as the heathen do. Another example of that we see in, um, we see in one of my favorite stories. Remember Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal? They go up on this mountain and Elijah says, I'm going to challenge you guys to a contest. And the God that answers by fire, let him be the true God. And Elijah built an altar and the prophets of Baal built an altar. And then, and then they prayed and, they, and, and Elijah said, the God that answers and lights the altar on fire, let him be the real God. Well, the pagans, they prayed all day and all night in these vain, repetitious prayers saying the same thing. And then it says they would yell out loud to the Lord. It says they began to cut themselves as was, them, as was their custom to try to invoke their God. And then when they were done and their God never answered by fire, Elijah just prayed a very simple prayer. It took about 20 seconds and he just said, God answered by fire. And in, a, in, a, in a, just a very short, simple prayer and God answered by fire. Because we're not heard for our, our, our vain repetition, our many words. You guys ever been in a restaurant where uh, maybe there's a Christian group at, at a table and, and they're going to pray over their meal? Now, I always pray in public over my meals, and I like to hold hands in a restaurant. If you come to a restaurant with me, we're going to hold hands before the meal, and we're going to say a quick prayer. And, you know, I try to be discreet as I, as, as I can, and, you know, I like to eat hot food. So I just say, Lord, bless the food, bless our fellowship, you know, and, and I mean it, and I pray a short, simple prayer. But, you know, you go in a restaurant, and there's a Christian there, and the guy gets up and stands on his table, you know, so the whole restaurant can hear him praying, and he's praying in proper Old English, like God hears Old English better than he does regular English. Thee, thou, this, thy, day, thy, God, Father. And I'm like, like if one of my kids came up and started talking to me that way, I'd be like, what is wrong with you? You know, I think that's the way you're at. Mo, Father, would you please listen to my, this, thy, day, my petition, thy, Father? It's like, what is wrong with you? But I don't know. Sometimes when we pray, I guess we think God hears us better if we speak in old English. Like he doesn't speak regular English. I don't know. But anyways, all right. We're, we're just about out of time. So. I know that we're necessarily going to get, get uh, prayer, uh, fasting covered today. but So then Jesus says, in this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, again, just briefly, I'll say about the Lord's Prayer. You know, I've seen a lot of NFL games, and um, one of the practices of a lot of the NFL teams is they have an optional time of prayer before the players go out. And so the players all kneel, and, and the chaplain will come in, and together the group will say this prayer. And, and it, it can seem from that, that vantage point that it's, um, it's kind of vain repetition, that it's just reciting something. And for that reason, people would say, you know, is, is it God's heart or God's intention that we really use these words when we pray? And I would say that I do believe for several reasons that God's intention in, in teaching us this prayer is that we absolutely use it for that. And yes, if you're just going through it and you know it and you memorize it, you've said it a million times. And so you just, you know, our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, kingdom come, you'll be done. You know, and you're just going through it because you think you're getting points for saying the Lord's prayer. It doesn't work that way. You're not getting any points. But, but if, you, if you read this and you really walk through this prayer and you mean it, it's very powerful. And it covers all the tenets of prayer that God wants you to cover. And, and I would encourage you to pray. And I'd encourage you to pray it daily. Not, not that it's enough or that it's all you need to pray. But, but that it can be a, a very good, good quality prayer. We, again, we did a teaching on going through and breaking it all down. I don't have time today to do it. But um, you can check that out. But i just highlight the, just the one point as we close today. Is that the first two words when, when Jesus began to teach us to pray. He said, our Father. Now, Last point, actually, before we get to that, um, you know, Jesus is teaching here. If you have a red letter Bible, right, this is all letters of red. There's no black letters. There's no questions before this. It's just Jesus teaching. He taught the Lord's Prayer. Two years later, in Luke chapter, recorded for us in Luke chapter 11, we have the Lord's Prayer repeated. But this time, it's not during the Sermon on the Mount. And the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus goes to this exact prayer. And, and he tells them, he uses this prayer in teaching them how to pray. Except for this time, in Luke's gospel, two years later, he's even going to shorten it a little bit. He's even going to simplify it. Like, we've been walking with you, Lord, for, for all these years. And like, we really, Lord, we, we know you taught us the Lord's Prayer there and the Sermon on the Mount. But now we've been with you for a long time. Like, really teach us the really deep aspects of prayer, Lord. And he teaches them the same prayer. And he even makes it simpler. Not more profound, not more complex. Just simply pray. Just simply talk to God this way. And he wants us to address him as father. Now, the number one way I tell you guys all the time that God used to describe, that Jesus used to describe God to you and I is what? It's what? Everybody, it's what? Father. Now, the word that Paul uses for, for Abba, Father, in, in Romans is an untranslated um, Hebrew word that basically is the first word that a baby would say, Dada, Papa, whatever a baby says when their first words out of their mouth. And so, so God is described to us. And then when Jesus uses the term Father here in Matthew and in Luke's gospel, it also, it's not the word Abba, but it's also a, a very common use for what everyday people would call their dads. How many of you guys call your dad, oh, father? Anybody? There's a word for that. But there's also a, a, more, a more common everyday use that you and I would use where we'd say daddy, dad. This is the word that Jesus used, dad. The more common word. And, and, and it's so powerful that when you think of the awe factor of God, first of all, right? God is that we call him a star-breathing God because it says that he spoke the word and the universe came into existence. 
It says that he, ma- he measures the universe with the span of his hand. That's from his pinky to his thumb. That's how big God is. He holds the entire universe in his hand. That's a big God. And, and yet, in describing this God, the creator of the heavens and earth and all that's in him, you know, Jesus, you think, would have had this like sentence that took like five minutes to repeat in order to describe this God. But instead, what Jesus wanted you and I to call him was daddy. Dad. You know, people come to me sometimes and they say, hey, pastor, I'm praying about um, whether I should take this job or whether I should do this or whether I should do that. And I oftentimes will say, you know, and sometimes people get a little tweaked by it in the beginning, you know, until they know me or they know my heart. But I'll say, what did dad say? My dad, my dad's not a part of the conversation. What are you talking about? And then, and then you know, I'm talking about God. What dad say? What dad say? And I don't think I made that up. I think I got that from Jesus. That Jesus wants us to have this relationship with God as a father. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's have the worship team come up and close us in a song. As the worship team's making their way up, we're going to close in prayer. And we want to give anybody and everybody in here today an opportunity to get their hearts and their lives right with Jesus. So I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray for you guys and simply just want to, you know, salvation is... As simple as you just saying yes to Jesus. It's a surrender of your heart. Number one, it's, you know, it's, it's realizing that you need a savior. Realizing that you can't do it on your own. And just saying that, I'm a sinner who needs a savior. And I'm saying yes to, for Jesus to come into my life and be my Lord and savior. So if you're here today and you've never made a decision for Christ, then give you that opportunity to do that today. Maybe you're here today and you've made a decision for Christ and, you know, you just want to grow in your walk. And, and we'll give you an opportunity to commit that and pray that today. I want to tell you, if you've asked Jesus in your heart and you're born again, there's no need that you get saved every week. Like once saved, always saved. Like if you've given your life to God, you're a child of God. You, you repent once unto salvation and then you'll repent the rest of your life unto sanctification, the process of growing in Christ. But once you're saved, you're saved. You walk with the Lord. You ask Jesus in your life. You're saved. You're born again. John said, we can know that we know that we know that we know that we're saved, that we don't have to guess every week. There's an assurance of salvation, and that only comes from the grace of God. Because if it came from our works, we could never be assured that we were going to heaven. We'd never know if we did enough. We'd never know if we earned our, our part. And since we don't have a part other than just to show up and say yes to Jesus, we can know that we're saved. And so if you've asked the Lord, if you're a Christian, know that you're saved. And if you haven't, or you're not sure, or you're just still not sure, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now just to receive the Lord in your heart. If that's you today and you want to get saved or you want to ask Jesus in your heart, I want you just to raise your hand up to the Lord so I know who to pray for. Anybody? Raise your hand up to the Lord. Saying yes, amen. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody want to just get their life right with the Lord today? Maybe you're already a Christian and you want to get saved today, or you want to just rededicate your life today. Anybody? Raise your hand so I can pray for you. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Anybody else? Amen, amen. Well, let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you. And Father, we, we thank you for, uh, for all the hands that went up, Lord, to ask Jesus in their heart, to rededicate their life, to just say to Jesus, yes, here I am. I want to serve you. So, Father, I ask that, Lord, that, that people would, get, would really surrender and get saved and that you'd come into their heart and be their Lord and Savior. Forgive them of their sins. Forgive us of our sins, God, and be our Lord and Savior. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. 
Lord, if anybody raised their hand just to, just to rededicate today or just get right today, I pray, Father, that there would be a peace of God that surpasses understanding that would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we ask your blessing upon each one of them in Jesus' name. Amen.